Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Good morning and Shabbat Shalom to everyone. My name is Sharina Gibson. I am a proud member of Temple Beth L in general and also really proud to be part of the group that is helping bring racial equity and justice to the forefront of all that we do to make sure that the fabric of Temple Beth L is imbibed with all things related to inclusion and equity for all of the beautiful, diverse members of our Temple Bethel community, of our Richmond, Virginia community, and of our larger Jewish community. And on this last Shabbat of Black History Month, we are beyond blessed to have a special guest here with us today. I hope that everyone has been following along in the Good Shabbos newsletters every week where we have highlighted a astounding Black Jew and we are so glad to have one in our midst with us this morning for our conversation. Gabriel Blissmeyer is just amazing. A little bit about Gabriel. He is a Black Ashkenazi Jew that lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's worked in health equity and LGBTQ plus health for 13 years in both tobacco prevention and cancer. At age 12, he won the 2012 National Youth Advocate of the Year Award for his efforts on tobacco prevention and cessation work that is inclusive and supports underserved communities. Today, Gabe works for the LGBT Cancer Network as a project specialist, where he oversees the Out Proud Free Campaign, which fights to reduce the impact of smoking and e-cigarettes in the LGBTQ plus communities. In his Jewish life, Gabriel is known as a shul hopper, a lover of all the shuls that enjoys building Jewish community and understanding by attending various denominations of synagogues. He has been a religious and Hebrew school substitute teacher for ages six through 13, served on the welcoming committee and racial justice committees, helped revive the 20s and 30s synagogue groups, sang in high holiday choirs and played in Purim Spiel bands. If that wasn't enough, Gabriel is currently finishing his master's in public health at Utah State University and will be applying to physician assistant school. In his free time, who knows where that comes in with all that you're doing, Gabriel can be found at the library discussing Jewish ethics and cooking. Good morning and Shabbat Shalom, Gabriel. How are you today? Good, Shabbat Shalom, Sharina. I'm doing well. <laughs> We are so blessed and excited to have you here. So tell us, Gabriel, how have you been celebrating Black History Month through your lens as a Black Jewish person? Yeah, this year has been fascinating in that, you know, it's a Dar One right now, so it's a wonderful leap year time. And, you know, in a Dar, we're supposed to, it's a month of joy and we're commanded to, you know, celebrate from grief to joy during this month. 
So I think it's perfect that, you know, Black History Month and Adar kind of line up with each other. So I've been trying to be more intentional, you know, with um, feeling joy and things that, you know, would usually be mundane throughout the year. So like I'm eating food and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's food, it's sustenance. I'm like, oh, this is really good food. And like, thank you Hashem for giving me food and sustenance and all of these things. And just trying to find joy in the smallest things has been kind of my practice this past month. And I know previously you and I had talked about Modeani uh, and, you know, what does that mean to wake up in the morning and thank Hashem for making you Black and making you Jewish. And when a lot of other people in the world would be like, I don't want to be either of those things, or, you know, I could maybe handle one of those things, but not both at the same time. And I think really just being intentional with my Modeani and kind of extending it a little bit and being like, you know, thank you for letting me be a Black Ashkenazi Jew. Like, you could have made me anything in this world, and you made me this beautiful human being with so many cultures and so many intersections, and like, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, so I think just trying to find joy in the small things has been kind of my practice this month. Um, and just, I think, you know, it should be my practice every month, but unfortunately I kind of forget. Uh, but yeah, I think just finding joy in the small things has been the practice. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So in, in talking about our celebrations and our sort of theme for this conversation, Simchas, not just our sorrows, who are two or three influential Black Jews current or in the past, you want the larger Jewish community to know more about? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Um, so I'd say like April Baskin is someone who's, you know, really involved in the reform movement. Um, Rabbi Sandra Lawson is also a really good person, you know, who lives at the intersections of being Black, Jewish, and also a queer person. Uh, Manish Tanan, Nassim Black, there's a lot of people that I would kind of categorize as being very influential Black Jewish people, but, you know, more so I kind of want people to really, I'm really a big advocate on people getting to know their neighbors or the people that are, you know, in their shoals or in their neighborhood, because, um, yeah, there are a lot of Black Jewish people in the world, and sometimes I'm like, those are arguably the most influential people, um, and like, yeah, they may not have, you know, a lot of Instagram followers, or they might not be in charge of the Orthodox Union or anything like that. But I think, of course, like every person is so influential and can change people's lives so easily. And so I almost want to say like, yes, get to know April Baskin and get to know Manish Tana and Nassim Black, but also just get to know the Black Jews that might already be in your shoals. Um, I think that's so important and just creating a atmosphere of welcoming and inclusion and yeah, just really, really strong community. I think that's the best place to start. Awesome. We love that. Just finding the, the gem in every single person, right? Right. Starting with your neighbor. I love that. And follow up to that conversation there. What's your wish for how the Jewish community and, and society writ large, actually, and how we can be more intentional about celebrating the joys, not just highlighting the struggles of Black people, Black Jews, Jews of color, and other parts of our population that are that face inequities. 
Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's so easy to, you know, focus on the sorrows and focus on the struggles. And I even find myself sometimes being like, you know, for this, we left Egypt. Like, why? Like, Egypt was so, you know, like we knew what we were doing and now we're, there's just chaos and all of these things. But, you know, I'm Ashkenazi and, you know, very much to my core and, you know, a very traditional person. And so even I'm still learning ways of, you know, how Judaism is practiced and how it looks kind of throughout the world. So I feel like a huge part is just education. So knowing who your neighbors are, um, knowing who the Black Jews are in the world and also in your community, uh, I think that's a great place to start. I also think just like branching out, um, which is really hard sometimes for me as an Ashkenazi Jew, of branching out and being like, oh yeah, what are other tunes of these songs or what are other foods that can be eaten during these holidays. Um, so yeah, so I feel like education is a huge part. And then honestly, just taking those first steps. And I always think about, you know, the uh, scene with Moses and everyone in with the Red Sea. And like, you know, like we have to make those first steps through fear and through the uncomfortable feelings first before, you know, Hashem will come in and actually like do the rest of the work. And so I think about that a lot of just like, yes, I want to be the most educated person in the world and to be the most inclusive and integrative person in the world. Um, I understand my limits, but I understand that before Hashem will, you know, open up those floodgates, I have to do my part first to show that I'm actually intentional about this work. Love that. I think that's a, a something that we all feel or all should be really intentional about and work towards improving. It occurs to me as you were saying that, um, especially when we, we talk about Jews of color, we talk about the ways that we're excluded or feel like we're isolated from the community. Flipping that again, thinking about the celebratory pieces and the positive pieces while not ignoring the very real struggles and hurdles and inequalities we face. Tell us when you have felt the strongest sense of community as a Jew. Yeah, I'm glad that there has been so many uh, experiences that I've had. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's been, I've had a lifetime full of them. Um, and, you know, I always joke that, you know, I grew up watching Fiddler on the Roof and I was like, you know, I grew up very much with this healthy fear of Fruma Sarah and like, oh my gosh, like nightmares and all of these things about her. Um, but I feel like one of the things that really stand out to me is that at one synagogue, um, when I was living in Minneapolis, I was involved in the Hebrew Kedisha and I, you know, kind of stumbled upon it. They needed more people to be on it. And I kind of knew roughly what I was getting into, but didn't know, you know, like what it would be like in practice. I kind of knew what it was like in theory, but not in practice. And I remember just getting there, I think it was midnight or something when someone had passed. And um, I, it was just this very, how to describe it? I felt this experience, I think, maybe twice in my life. One was at the Western Wall and the other was kind of here at this funeral home where it's just this kind of universal stillness and just quiet that kind of falls on 
it feels like the whole earth, but it's kind of just you. And, you know, you just feel kind of enveloped in something, whether, you know, it's the community feeling or whether it's Hashem, whatever. Um, and I remember I was um, holding this person and I just started crying and it just felt like, and I don't want to pretend like I understand what it's like to be Hashem or anything like that, but, you know, I just felt all of this person's, you know, sorrows and joys and wishes and dreams and everything. And I, you know, just felt this huge connection of like, you know, this is what it is to be Jewish. It is to live in that intersection of all of these, you know, wild things happening all the time, sometimes great, sometimes absolutely abhorrent, um, but being able to go on another day. And I feel like that was just such a indescribable experience for me. And I've never felt more connected to Judaism and Hashem and all of these other aspects of my Jewish life than kind of in that moment. Um, but yeah, luckily I've had kind of other moments as well, you know, like substituting with the children and, you know, fielding their very fascinating questions and being able to help them kind of find answers. But no, it really is, um, I think community and really knowing your neighbors and really welcoming the neighbor um, is such an integral part of my Judaism. And yeah, like without it, I would be so lost. And so whenever I'm connecting with people, whether they're Jewish or not, I'm like, this is when I'm the most Jewish is when I am trying to bridge relationships or bridge um, any sort of, yeah, I guess communication between folks. Beautiful. I, I thank you for, for sharing those moments and I, those feelings. I think that's really, really important for all of us to to keep at the forefront you know, and not just kind of our rote <laughs> practice, but always just hearkening back to the why we do what we do. So you mentioned a little bit about how all of the pieces of your being intersect. And I think that is a question at the top of mind for, for many of us as a woman who's a Jew, as a person of color who's a Jew, as a person who's a Jew that also may have a disability or um, your sexual orientation and how all of those things interconnect and how they have their separate sets of experiences and needs and wants. So drawing on your lived experience, but also your professional expertise and all things as it relates to equity, I would love to hear your thoughts on intersectionality, just to kind of level set with everyone thinking about what intersectionality means, and it can have various definitions, but I'd like to offer one for our conversation today. Years ago, Columbia law professor Kimberly Crenshaw first coined this term, intersectionality. And her definition follows, intersectionality is a lens through which you can 
see where power comes and collides, where it interlocks and intersects. And she also adds, it's not simply that there is a race problem here, a gender problem here, and a class or LGBTQ problem there. Many times that framework erases what happens to people who are subject to all of these things. So how, having that level set in mind about what intersectionality is and thinking today as we are celebrating Black History Month is having designated months excluding or isolating Black, Indigenous, persons of color, Jews of colors, LGBTQ plus persons, persons with disabilities. Is that really the right approach towards a more inclusive or belonging world? Why and why not? Oh, <laughs> yeah. love questions like this. Um, no, I think it's a fantastic question and it's something that I constantly think about, um, you know, especially as, you know, I think the world is becoming more intersected, people tend to fall um, into more than one identity, especially one that's usually historically marginalized. And so I think even more so we're starting to see blends between months of like, oh yeah, it's Black History Month, but then, you know, this person might be uh, biracial and be Black and Asian. So how do we integrate their history together? And so, yeah, I think it's a wonderful question. It's always something really interesting to ponder on. I think as someone that lives at the intersection of so many identities, um, especially ones that are marginalized, it's really fascinating to approach things like Black History Month for me, because I feel like I, you know, am not the typical Black person, and so I'm constantly, you know, whatever that means, right? right? Whatever that means, <laughs> and so, like, February 1 hits, and I'm like, okay, where's my history about, uh, you know, the other Black Ashkenazi Hungarian Jews out there? Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty small, and, you know, it might just be my family, who knows? Um, but I think, you know, I'm constantly during those months really trying to push people to be like, yeah, you know, it's Black History Month, but let's look at those nuances of like who makes up the Black population. And so, you know, it's biracial folks, it's folks that are low income or might be experiencing homelessness, it's people living with disabilities, it's people who are LGBTQ plus, um, and really trying to push people to kind of look past the lens of kind of what we typically do to say like, yeah, you know, like it is important to focus on Black history and Asian history and all of these things, but we really also need to look at the stories that we don't ever get to hear because by ignoring those stories, we're kind of furthering marginalization of like, you know, that doesn't fit into the status quo or maybe that person doesn't make the rest of us look good, so we don't want to talk about them. Um, and I'm like, nope, we got to take the good, the bad, and the ugly, because that's what history is. Um, so yeah, so I'd say, you know, in my very <laughs> Jewish opinion, I'm like, oh, it depends. Um, <laughs> yes. But... <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it is important to 
you know, have those months dedicated. So there is a little bit more of a conscious intention kind of society-wise of like, oh, it's Black History Month or, oh, it's Pride Month. Um, but I think as, you know, time goes on and people start living at more of those intersections, we'll probably start seeing a blend or maybe, you know, like Black Pride stuff happening in February or Jewish Pride stuff happening in, I don't know, November, hopefully not. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's my like rest period between holidays. Um, but yeah, so I think it depends, but I think it is important for us to kind of remember like, oh, it's Black History Month. I should read more books by Black authors or I should learn more about Black history during this time, but also do it every other month of the year as well. Absolutely. It's, it's a complex question and, and we dedicate time so that we can focus and shine a light, but really all of these months, Pride Month, Asian American Month in May, which we're preparing for, I'm thinking about that right now, <laughs> but also thinking how do we make this learning, this celebration 365? That's why the work is not yet done. And, and <laughs> right, we have so much more to do and to go and, and we're all here for, for that journey. I wanna share a quote with the congregation today, a quote from you, Gabriel. And this quote says, now I fight for health and well-being for all people and ultimately social justice. With that in mind, thinking about that fight, that road that we're all on towards a more inclusive synagogue, community, wider Jewish community, Black, Jewish, disability, LGBTQ, Asian community, all of those things. What are two best next steps our congregation could take today to move towards a Jewish community that embraces those intersectionalities, in particular, as well as a part of embracing Black joy, not just our sorrows, during Black History Month and always. Kind of a three-part question there. <laughs> Break it up as you choose. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is, I was like, this quote sounds so familiar, and that's why. <laughs> Somebody I know that's pretty famous. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we're definitely all in this fight. And I think um, struggle together. Like, how do we make, make sure that everyone is taken care of and that everyone feels safe and affirmed and whatnot? Um, and so I think something that, you know, I constantly get stuck in sometimes is I'm like, you know, it feels like I'm the only one doing this work or it feels like I'm the only one pushing this boulder up this hill. And, you know, I kind of have to step back and realize like, you know, there's multiple other people who are doing this work, which is fantastic. And I think it's so important to know that um, kind of going back to our like, you know, who are the most influential Black Jews in the world um, or in the community? And I'm like, yeah, it could be like anyone, like everyone is the most influential Black Jew or influential Jewish person in the world. Um, but as far as next steps go, 
I would say the biggest thing, once again, is so welcoming your neighbor. Uh, I think it is really important to have that kind of local, you know, community level bond. Um, and as someone who works in policy work, I think a lot of the time, like, yeah, we understand that national and federal policies get passed and have a lot of impact on a lot of people in one fell swoop. But a lot of the times what people don't realize is that usually if federal policies are happening or statewide policies are happening, it's usually because there's conversations happening on a local level. So whether that's a PTA or whether that's just neighbors that are complaining about something and they want something done. And so I really think there's immense power in, you know, your next door neighbor or in the person who is sitting by you during high holy days. Um, there's such a immense power in the relationship between you and other folks in your community. So my biggest thing is just welcoming your neighbor and figuring out who is your neighbor, which I know is something that as Jews we constantly are wrestling with, of like who counts as my neighbor and who doesn't count as my neighbor. But I think that is one of the biggest steps that you can do. And I think education is also part of that of like, you know, I have this neighbor and I want them to feel comfortable, um, you know, at my house for Shabbat. Um, so maybe that looks like learning some ASL words that are Jewish uh, to welcome them. Or maybe it looks like having food from their culture or something like that. I think that is also included in welcoming your neighbor. I would say the other really big next step is something that you mentioned, Sharina, of remembering that, you know, Black Jews, that Black people exist outside of the month of February. And I say this all the time when I'm working with, um, especially like state agencies that want to do LGBTQ work, but then maybe call me, you know, May, like the last day of May. And they're like, hey, we want to do something for Pride. And I'm like, Pride month starts tomorrow. We've already planned out what we're going to do for the past year. Uh, call us next year. And so there seems to not be this understanding of like, you know, LGBT people exist the other 365 days of the year and Black Jews also exist the other 365 days of the year. So once again, it's like, yeah, like why aren't we celebrating, you know, Black History Month in December? Why aren't we doing any things in um, March? And so I think once again, it's that remembrance of we exist outside of the month of February and you know we should still be doing events and conversations about black jews um outside of february because we understand that you know we're as much of the part of the community as everyone else is and so we need to be able to have those conversations year round to kind of show people like oh yeah you matter not just when it's black history month but when you know it's july 1st and no one's really doing anything but we need to have a conversation about XYZ thing. So I would say those are probably the two biggest next steps that are pretty feasible for folks to do is just welcoming your neighbor and then remembering that we exist, I think is a really big part of uh, intersectionality and being intentional about your intersectionality. We love that. And we will hold those two words up, being intentional, think about intersectionality, embracing and knowing your neighbor while we're on this path towards a more inclusive community and world. Gabriel, any final thoughts before we close today? You've given so much and we want more. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I really, I love these types of conversations. I think they're so important. I think, you know, once again, we don't talk a lot about joy and we don't, you know, talk a lot about the happiness. And I think it's so important to just refocus on that aspect of life because, you know, if life is 100% struggles and, you know, sorrow, it's, that's pretty sad and it's really hard to feel motivated to do anything. And so I think, you know, it's really important to realize, yeah, like we've been through a lot of sorrows and struggles, but wow, we've been through a lot of really amazing, joyous occasions and experiences. And I just love, you know, thinking about those and remembering those and being like, yeah, this is why we're still fighting is because that joy, I mean, it's kind of like Shabbat, it's like, oh yeah, we get this like little sliver of what this like world to come is like, or what this age is like. And, you know, it's like, that is what we keep fighting for. And so it's not just one day a week, it's suddenly every day a week. And so I think it's so important to, you know, focus on that joy and have that be kind of our guiding light through this and know that, you know, we don't just have to have joy once a year, we can have it every day of the year and everyone can experience that, but we have to put in the work to get there for everyone. Oh, amen. Just thank you for those words. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all of the light and work that you are doing in all of the ways in healthcare and equity in your community. Happy Black Her, His, Their Story Month. And thank you, Gabriel, for increasing our joy in this Hebrew month of Adar. Thank you for coming. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Sharina. Shabbat Shalom. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.